This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, The Last Hour, and it comes from 1 John 2, 18-29. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or use our WMER app where you can donate right there from the app. Or you can mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Google or Amazon or Spotify. We're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Let me give you a quick review of what we've studied over the last several weeks out of 1 John. And then we'll dive into our text because I have a lot to cover today. But First John, when we looked at chapter 1, it was really about walking in the light. And John started off talking about the authenticity of Jesus Christ, that he was the word of life and that he and the other apostles had seen and heard and touched Jesus. And John writes and says that he can testify and proclaim that the eternal life was manifested in Jesus Christ. And then he went on to say that we are to have fellowship with the light because God is light. And he says that if we have fellowship with him, that means the light's in us and that what he was talking about there was that we have to walk in the light. We have to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, that doesn't mean we won't sin, but do we intentionally sin? The answer is we do not intentionally sin. And so what he's teaching us is that if we are living openly in sin, then we don't have the light in us because there is no darkness in God. And he finished up chapter one by talking about confession and forgiveness. And in that famous verse that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins. And so again, we need to confess those sins that we have in our life as we see the light shining areas of our life that are not what God would want us to be, that don't line up with the Bible and his commandments. And all this comes about because Gnosticism had creeped into the church. And Gnosticism said that, look, you can live any way you want to live as long as spiritually you're good with God. And the Bible doesn't teach that at all. But there was a lot of sloppy Christians, and these are Greeks who believe in knowledge and that spiritual knowledge will get me to heaven and it doesn't matter how I live, but the Bible teaches us that if we walk in the light, we profess the light, then we have to live out that walk. 
And other key themes that we saw as we went in from chapter 1 to chapter 2 was that we have an advocate, that Jesus Christ is our advocate and he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And when we believe on that, then we are saved. And he tells us that he wants us to understand this so that we aren't distracted by the false teaching that's going into the church. And we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and we need to listen to what the apostles taught not what, the, what these new people are teaching in this Gnosticism. And because of that, he gets into verses 3 through 6 about obedience to God's commandment. And even Jesus taught that. We looked at that, that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then we wrapped up saying, don't love the world. The world and its desires will distract us from living out and walking in the light. It'll keep us from our spiritual growth that we need to have. And we finished last week by saying, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. So don't put your faith in the things of this world because it's passing away. Instead, stay focused on Jesus, walk towards him, have your spiritual growth grow towards him, and we will abide forever. Today, we're going to see that John starts talking about Antichrist, and he warns about the Antichrist. And he wraps up by saying, abide in Christ instead of following these antichrists. With that said, turn with me to 2 John. We're going to start in verse 18, and I'll be reading out the ESV. Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father in them. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And I'm going to stop there for now. So right out of the gate in verses 18 and 19, John deals with the Antichrist. John wants Christians to understand that they must not be surprised that there were false teachers. You'll notice that he calls these false teachers Antichrist. Now the term Antichrist has gained a lot of fanfare in the religious world, but it's really a simple term. An Antichrist is a person who opposes Christ. And John is the only author to use this term we need to keep that in mind because the reason may be because of certain teachings or events that were going on in, in his day and time. In fact, John says that you know it is the last hour, the title of this lesson, because there are many antichrists. And those are people that are teaching against Jesus. Now, they're not coming out. They're just adding to what Jesus. They're not telling the truth. They're false teachers. Now, John's not the only writer to sound a warning to the people of God that there was going to be an insurgence of false teachers and, and a flood of false teachings. Matter of fact, turn with me to 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. 
And both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of remembrance, that ye should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Then in Jude, Jude taught about this. Jude 1, 17-19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They say to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. And then also in 1 Timothy, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4, 1-3, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons, through the insanity of the liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require absence from food that God created to receive with thanks given by those who believe and know the truth. And then also in 2 Timothy he wrote, But understand this, that in the last days there will come a time of difficulty, for the people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen of conceit, lovers of pleasures rather than the lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into the household and capture weak women, burned with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jans and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was with these two men. And that's 2 Timothy 3, 1 through verse 9. And then also in 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and apostles will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And last in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Do we not see that today? But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into its myths. See, we can see why the Apostle John could say, you've heard that Antichrist is coming. The inspired writers of the Holy Word gave repeated warning about false teachers bringing false doctrine, leading people astray. What John is inspired to write in others his opposition to the truth was going to come and would continue against Jesus Christ. Just these few verses show us that the false teachers were coming. The inspired writers of the Holy Word gave repeated warning about false teachers bringing false doctrine, leading people astray. But I want to dive into this last hour because John has some theological timeline in mind by declaring the arrival of these antichrists signifies that it is the last hour. And this last hour really comes from Jesus' teaching, because if you go and study the Gospels and John and his letters, you'll read about the life of Jesus, and you'll notice that Jesus repeatedly states that it's not his last hour. His hour has not come. Look at John 2 or John 7 or John 8. 
Then we come to the part of the timeline when Jesus declares that his hour has come. That's in John 12, 23. Now, in John's letters, we read that it's the last hour. This fits a time frame that John and the New Testament writers have established as a time when there would be a concentration of evil and opposition against Christ and his teaching. Now, the last hour does not seem to be an era of time past that no longer exists. It still exists. There's false teachers today. Typically in this false teaching, it is to cause people to turn away from their faith and focus on the person that is teaching this falsehood. So you need to walk away today that we are in the last hour and that we're going to see deception continue. And John has a particular false teacher in mind, though, when he speaks of these antichrists that have already appeared. John defines the antichrist in three places in his letters. Let's look at those. First is right here in this section where in 1 John 2.22, he says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. We'll see this in future teaching, but in 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3, John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard, was coming and now is in the world already. And then the third spot is over in 2 John chapter 1, verse 7 where he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So John has these false teachers in his sights. And these false teachers are part of this Gnosticism that's coming into the church. And part of Gnosticism was they would deny that Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah. They denied that Jesus is not from God. They even desired that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, that he was only human, that when the dove came down, the Holy Spirit came only, but he was only human, and the Holy Spirit did all that Jesus did. See, this was this false teaching, and it was a true opposition against Christ and what he taught. But the other thing we need to understand in verse 19, he shows us that not all false teachers come from the outside. Sure, there are those who are not Christian that attack the scriptures, but John is really pointing at false teachers who were part of the brotherhood, that claimed to be faithful Christians that were and were part of the faithful in appearance. But they have shown themselves not to be the truth and not faithful to the Lord because they did not remain with the apostles and their teaching. Their defection is the evidence of their hypocrisy. And we see the same thing. People will claim to be part of us. They will claim to know us. They will claim to be sent from us, sent to us. And sometimes they'll even join our fellowships. But these are people who are claiming to be Christians, claiming to be a part of the fellowship, but they're not. Their actions prove them out. They reveal the truth. They look like Christians. They sound like Christians, but they're not. A wolf in sheep's clothing is what we have here. And John is explaining to his readers how to deal with this intrusion of false teachers. And before we get off Antichrist, before we go into the anointing, I really want you to understand that there's the little a Antichrist, and then there's the big A Antichrist. And the big A Antichrist points to the ultimate Antichrist that we see in Revelation. If you remember, Daniel pointed to this 
ultimate ruler. He didn't use the word antichrist. But in Daniel 9, he talks about this ruler that will come. He'll set up in the temple and he will do an abomination that causes desolation. And Jesus also spoke about this abomination of desolation. That's in Matthew 24. And he refers to a man of lawlessness. And Paul proclaimed this in 2 Thessalonians 2 also. And in Revelation 13, it refers to him as the beast and causes unbelievers to worship him. People speak about the Antichrist because they're referring to Revelation. But Revelation 13 also describes two figures. It describes one of them as the beast rising out of the sea. We see that in Revelation 13.1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and of his horns ten crowns, and of his head a blasphemous name. Now the beast that rises out of the sea is a government system. It's a one world system. Similar to the Roman Empire when Nero reigned. People actually thought that he was the Antichrist, but he was just a little a Antichrist. He was anti-Jesus Christ, but he wasn't the Antichrist. And out of this government system, the Antichrist will be raised up. The other is a beast rising out of the earth. Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Now the two beasts are connected. There will also be a false prophet, and the false prophet will point people towards the Antichrist to worship him. But the false prophet is an Antichrist, but he's not the Antichrist. But they are connected, and we see that, that they're connected to the dragon who is Satan. And Satan has called this false prophet and the Antichrist to help do his evil work in the uh, Revelation time period. Now, this Antichrist, if you'll turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 2.9, it reads this, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power signs and lying wonders. Some of you listen to me are probably thinking, well, I won't be deceived. How will people be deceived? I mean, we've heard about this Antichrist. Well, the Antichrist is going to look good. He's going to sound good. He'll be someone that people love and adore. And people will be attracted to him because he comes deceiving, causing people to think that he's good. He will promise peace and happiness. And this is how the world will be convinced. If we look at Hitler, he was Times Magazine Person of the Year back in 1938. He looked good until he rolled out his evil scheme. And the same thing will happen with the Antichrist. If you aren't in the Word, it'll be very easy to be deceived by him. And so I want you to understand about the Antichrist, capital A, versus the little Antichrist that, that John's talking about here, those false teachers that are creating fractions of people and pulling people and turning them away from the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So how do we deal with these false teachers? Well, John kind of tells us in verses 20 through 23, John tells us that we have an anointing from the Holy One, and therefore... We have all knowledge. Now, we have to be in the Word. We have to hide God's Word in our heart that we don't sin against Him. But we have all knowledge that comes to us when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells with us. And we need to allow the Scripture to be revealed to us through the Holy Spirit by reading and getting in His Word. Hopefully, you understand this part of theology. But when we're saved, when we believe and we're baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit gives us the knowledge that we need, and it guides us in the truth. 
where we get in trouble is when we aren't guided by the Holy Spirit, and that explains why there are so many denominations, why there are so many interpretations of the Scriptures. It explains why there's disagreement over the book of Revelations, the book of Romans, the book of Daniel, and more. See, these scriptures, as well as our observation, teach that this anointing is needed to have the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to reveal the word to us. The other reason why John uses this terminology right here is because the Gospels are pretty much uh, been said that they were completed around 70 to 80 A.D., which means that the Gospels would have been copied and circulated for a decade or two as John is writing this letter. And he's telling the Christians that you have all knowledge. It was given to you through the Holy Spirit to the apostles who wrote these things down, and they possessed what the Holy Spirit inspired them to write. And so therefore, know this. Test these false teachers against what the apostles wrote. And that's why in verse 21, he says that you know the truth. Notice that in verse 24, John tells them that let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. You know the truth. What you've heard is the truth. And let that be truth that you live on and not what these new Gnostic teachers are trying to come do. He's saying, hold fast to what you've been taught, what you've heard. That's what the Holy Spirit will use to help you understand and discern these false teachers. And we can learn from what the wisdom that John is putting right here against these false teachers that existed back in his day. So John is telling them that the truth abides in you and that it will be with you forever through the Holy Spirit if we stay in his word and we follow his commandments and we live out and walk in the light. Now let's finish up. Look at verses 26 through verse 29 with me real quick. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So he starts wrapping this thing up, saying that the Holy Spirit abides in us. He confirms that we have this anointing and it abides in us. That we need to understand that new teaching is not good. We already have what we need to know. It is from everything that we've heard, everything that the apostles wrote down. And these new teachers are trying to change something that doesn't need to be there. And how does he finish up? He finishes up saying that we have a promise. We have a promise that's given to us when the word of God abides in us, then we have the promise of eternal life. If we live in the word, if we walk in the light, if we keep his commandments, we will always live with Jesus. The word of the gospel not only needs to be heard, but it needs to be lived out. And really, this ties all the way back to chapter 1, where he talks about fellowship. And at the beginning of the letter, that we are to have fellowship with the apostles, to have fellowship with God. And this is how we have eternal life, is that the Word is in us. The Word guides us, and the Word is active in our hearts and in our lives, and we live it out. We maintain that fellowship with God and with others. 
I'm out of time, so let me close with these final thoughts. The test of us abiding in him is the same kind of test that John mentioned in 1 John 1 and 1 John 2, 4 and 1 John 2, 9, that there is something wrong if someone claims to be born of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't practice righteousness. This is a test is that if we're saved, if we've repented, we've asked for forgiveness and that righteousness has cleansed us of that sin, then we're going to practice righteousness going forward. We don't say a prayer and then live however we want. Let me give you an illustration of this. When a child is born of a family, there's almost always a family resemblance there. You've heard them say it. Look, she has her mother's eye or he has his father's nose. Well, the children of God have a family resemblance of their father in heaven. He's righteous, so we should be righteous. Those that are born of him also practice righteousness to live more righteous than we did before we were saved. Now, again, we're not saved because we practice righteousness, but we want to live that righteousness because we're saved and we repented and we understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We will never perfect that righteousness until we go to the other side, till we meet Jesus and we're given our glorified body. But we can practice righteousness right now if we are born of him. And as we close this chapter, chapter 2 of 1 John, there's really three claims that each Christian have. First, that we know him. 1 John 2, 4 says, if you claim to know him and you don't keep his commandments, then you're a liar. The other claim that as Christians, if we claim to abide in him, then we need to walk the way Jesus walked. In other words, we need to follow his commandments. That's 1 John 2, verse 6. And then 1 John 2, 9 tells us that if we say that we are in the light, we claim that we're in the light, but we hate our brother, then there's still darkness. We're not in the light. We lie to ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. John wants us to know that these statements are true in the life of a Christian that we abide in him, we have the light in us, and that we know him. And we live this out on a daily basis. It shows in our lives, especially in our love for our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So my question for you today is, do you know him? Do you abide in him? And is his light in you? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, right now, I just Thank you for this word. Lord, uh, we understand that there are false teachers. There are those that are out there, and I can sit here and think about as I've grown up over my life, how I've heard about false teaching and people that followed false teachers. But the, the, the focus on those false teachers was them and what they could get out of it. And Lord, right now, I pray that those that are listening will understand that there will always be false teachers. And the way we discern these false teachers is by hiding your word in our heart, getting in your word and letting the Holy Spirit reveal to us the ways and the things that they say that don't line up. And Lord, I pray today, maybe there's one that's listening, but they're under a false teacher that's teaching things that aren't of your word. Lord, just like back in John's day, that there were people teaching, you could live however you wanted to as long as you were spiritually okay. It didn't matter how you lived because the spirit was separated from the flesh. And Lord, right now, I pray for those that are living a sloppy Christian life. Maybe their church has told them, all you need to do is pray a prayer. But we see that we are challenged by John in this, in this book of how we walk out what we believe how we live out what we believe, and that if we're truly saved, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, 
then we will walk the way Jesus walked. If he abides in us, then we will walk in righteousness and we won't openly choose sin. And Lord, I pray this word will fall on fertile soil because there are false teachers among us today, wolves in sheep's clothing. But Lord, there's coming a day when there's going to be a false teacher that's going to rise up. There's going to be an Antichrist, capital A, that will be used by the devil. And Lord, I pray that those that can hear my voice today will already be gone with the church as you have taken us out before this comes in place. Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you that would have to face this Antichrist, that will probably be deceived by this Antichrist. Lord, I pray right now that they would say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you as a Savior. Lord, I understand you went to the cross. You died for me. Lord, they would believe on your finished work and how you overcame death and you give us a hope of eternal salvation and we'll be with you one day. That you're coming back for your people, Lord, and that they would chase after you. They would show their love for you by living out your commandments. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings you give this ministry. Lord, I pray a blessing over each and every one that hears this lesson. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.